Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. You must not have gotten your cup of coffee yet. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. There we go. Yes. It's been a great time to be here with you, to uh, meet so many of you, and, and also yesterday, especially precious to spend time with those who are being confirmed and received today. And one of the things that I try to do on these confirmation visits is get to know those who are taking part in this and be in prayer for them through the weekend. And so I've just been really encouraged by my time here. Nick, thank you so much for your leadership and for the leadership of the vestry in this church, what God's doing here. As I mentioned last night, if you were here, Luke chapter 14 and chapter 15 are power-packed sections of the gospel. Um, and this one today, I think, is very pertinent for us as folks who are wanting to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, but we understand that the vehicle for faithfulness and the vehicle for the gospel to be made known is the church, this institution and this organization and this body of hospitality. And I wish we had time to go through Luke 14 and 15. Um, I'd love for you to hear more about the heart of God in these chapters, and especially um, in this dinner party of all time section today, the cost of being a disciple is explained. Um, in Luke chapter 15, you see the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son parables, all to display for us God's heart for his people. And today in Luke chapter 14, especially this section, we're going to see a meal as mission for the world and to the world. So if you're wondering why meals matter so much in the Bible, one person says it's been said, if you take meals and mountains out of the Bible, it's a short book. And I would commend another book to you by uh, an author named Tim Chester. He wrote a book called A Meal with Jesus. And in this book, he highlights, even out of the Gospel of Luke, the importance and the profound nature of meals. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors, the worst of the worst, and people begin to wonder, who is this guy and why would he do that? Why would he hang out with the traitors and the oppressors of our people? In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is invited to a meal at Simon the Pharisee's house and he's eating this meal and this woman comes in and she's anointing his feet with oil and tears and it's scandalous. And Jesus then tells a parable about the distinction of forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus eats with Martha and Mary and you know the story if you've been around the church Martha Martha why are you so worried about so many things one thing is needful in Luke chapter 11 Jesus gets in the grill I still have teenagers at home so I'm somewhat relevant in life Um, he gets in the grill with the Pharisees at a meal over their posture in Luke chapter 19 Jesus invites himself for a meal at Zacchaeus's house Zacchaeus I will come to your house tonight and dine with you and your friends. Of course, Luke chapter 22, the Last Supper, Jesus takes the Passover and reinstitutes it to signify he is the object of the Passover meal. It's his body. It's his blood shed for us. 
And then, of course, Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus, the the disciples don't recognize Jesus. And then he breaks bread with them. And in the breaking of bread, they see him as the Lord. So again, one uh, theologian author says, Robert Karras says, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. How about we close in prayer and go to lunch today, right? <laughs> I'm hungry, so let's pray for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your gospel. It is true. It tells us what we need to know to believe in you. You also reveal to us in your words what we heard in Hebrews, that you've made promises to us. Never, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we pray, Lord, that we would come spiritually hungry this morning to your word and that you would feed us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to break this section into three, this, um, this gospel section into three parts. So the first would be the best seats in the house hospitality and welcome and a great banquet feast for the poor parentheses we're all poor so best seats in the house hospitality and welcome great banquet feast for the poor parentheses we're all poor in jesus's day at meals and especially parties you were you were invited and assigned where to sit on the basis of relationship and now, unlike church, we call the folks that sit in the back the back row Baptists. Uh, you come in last, you come in at the end. But you know, it's true, if you walk into a party, it would be uncouth or out of the ordinary for you to come sit right up at the front. And that's actually a very common practice even in Jesus's day. And that's because there's nothing worse than us saying, hey, all of you on the front row here, thanks for sitting there. Could you all move back? That would be humiliating and embarrassing. And Jesus teaches this profound principle in this gathering of pecking order. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Very counterintuitive. In another place, I think it's Timothy. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it is so opposite the way we think, but when we see true humility and grace, it's so attractive to us. We just can't get enough of it. I recently read that the number one reason people come to church today, this isn't true when I was growing up, but it's today, is that people just simply want to find friends, community, relationship. Isn't that amazing? We're the most powerful people in the world. We have the most education. We are the most technologically advanced. We have devices like this. We can talk to people. I've already texted people around the world, even this morning. And yet we're often the most lonely. And even today, rates of depression and anxiety are off the charts. Most of us are taught and modeled that we get friends by the process 
of reciprocation. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. Or quid pro quo. We're taught from an early age, if you want to be something in the world, you've got to make your mark, you've got to elevate yourself, and you've got to get a social media platform. And you've got to have friends and followers. And in Jesus' day, to move up is buying your status through reciprocation, having dinner parties and inviting the right people who will pay you back. It's extremely class stratified. It matters not what you know, but who you know. It was power networks and relationship dynamics developed through hospitality, really reciprocation. It was a patronage system. And I think about this, uh, my kids are, are uh, as they've gone through the different stages of life, my seventh grader, um, t- almost 13 year old, now is going to a different lunchroom at his school. And he came home and he said, I went in and dad, I was so nervous. And I was wondering what friends and what table I would sit at. So it's ingrained in us from the earliest of ages. And there are so many teen oriented movies. Last night I was flipping through the channels and I'm a Gen Xer. So 16 candles, wouldn't recommend it anymore. Not great morals. But, um, but it's all about status and class and, and will someone love me and accept me? Jesus tells a story to challenge this practice and I think it will challenge us as well today. And he shows how things in the kingdom of God work. So that brings me to my second point, hospitality and welcome. He says, you should invite people into your home, parentheses, life. People who cannot pay you back. Not to get ahead or to impress. So invite the poor and the lame. People who can give you nothing. People who can bring nothing to the party. Now we're in a Latin school, so I must use Latin today. The word hospitality comes from the Latin word hostis which means victim. And hospitality was showing compassion and kindness to the victim. It also had a dimension of power. Showing kindness to a stranger is a, reversible, uh, is a reversing of power. I'm in the inner club. This person's the outer club. I relinquish power and status by inviting the stranger into my life and into my circle. Hospitality is welcoming people into your living space, your home, a shelter of restoration. I love Pat Conroy books. I could not quiet that pearly ache in my heart that I diagnosed as the cry of home. We all long for home. It's why we dream of having a nice home that's inherently not necessarily ungodly to think of how I can have a nice home and, and welcome people into my space. Again, it's not necessarily just your literal home, but your relational home. Welcoming strangers is phileozenia, which is the love of strangers. Romans 13, practice hospitality. And that's because people do get loved towards belief. 
A church that talks about the love of God and is cold is anachronistic. Therefore, the gospel is an act of hospitality. I like to think of the gospel sort of as a jewel. A jewel has different facets, and you can turn the jewel, and you can see different sides of the jewel. One of the sides of the jewel that I like to think about and talk about is the, is the aspect of hospitality. It includes both those wounded by sin and those alienated from God. In the garden, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, fell, and the result of their fall was alienation or estrangement. Think about that. Think about what it will be like one day in the kingdom of God, new heavens and new earth, when we will not have to experience estrangement. We won't walk out of a church meeting and say, that person really didn't talk to me today. What was wrong with them? Or what's wrong with me? We all are, are subjects to estrangement. And that's why it's clear in Jesus' parable that the many bank, banquet and feasting parables, he valued hospitality as an important part of his life. And even at various times, Jesus assumes the role of the stranger, the host, and the guest. He's the stranger at times because there are moments when the disciples don't recognize him. There's, there's the reality that Jesus was this homeless man. The son of man has no place to lay his head. The one rejected and despised, the one thrown out, the, the one crucified outside of the camp. Hebrews says, cast away, isolated. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus understands clearly what it means to be the stranger and the outsider. But he's also sometimes the guest. In today's gospel, he was invited into a Pharisee's house. Now, I really didn't grow up as a church kid. I stopped attending church around fifth grade and didn't come back until college. But I still remember this prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest and let thy gifts to us be blessed. Even as a person who had left the faith and left church, I knew that prayer at meals, even if I wouldn't say it out loud in front of my friends, lest I be embarrassed. But I understood Jesus was our guest at meals. There's this dynamic sense that the act of faith, the act of believing in Jesus is a response to his invitation, but a welcome of him into our lives. Perhaps you have made that welcome clear. Revelation 3, 20 says, Here I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, listen to this language, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. Yet, as we also know the case, Jesus is the host. He's the ultimate host, the ultimate practitioner of hospitality, inviting us to become friends. He tells his disciples, I don't call you disciples or servants. I call you friends. Jesus takes a meal here in this passage in Luke 14, and he turns it into mission. And then he tells this great story. And the great story reminds us of this, that we who are recipients of grace live lives of hospitality, not lives of advancement.
And to demonstrate this in this parable, um, he, re- he relates to us the parable of a lost opportunity, also the parable of a great banquet feast to the poor. It's my third point. Jesus replies in verse 16, a certain man representing God was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. From the very simple and great book I mentioned at the outset, A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester, he writes, Jesus's point is clear. The long-awaited messianic banquet is approaching, Luke chapter 5, 34. Come, for everything is now ready. But the invited guests, like the religious leaders sitting around Jesus in this place, reject the banquet and insult the host. So the invitation goes out to the outcasts of Israel and then out still further to the Gentiles in the old King James Version, the highways and the byways. You see, it's a lost opportunity The landowner, who obviously had money, refused to come. The oxen owner, who obviously had obligations, refused to come. The married person, who now has familial dimensions to their life, refused to come. And they refused to come because these people are happy and satisfied and occupied with life. And simply too busy for God. But the man hosting the party says, go out and bring the poor, the crippled, the lame, bring them in. No no doubt, he doesn't say invite them in, send them an Evite and see if they RSVP. He says, bring them in. Only people would be invited who can't reciprocate. The people invited are the homeless and the helpless and the hopeless. And they aren't invited because they are, they aren't invited, they are brought. And here people have to be compelled to come. And the reason they, they have to be compelled to come is this. They know they can't repay the inviter. Have you ever been invited to someone's house and you forget to bring something? It's a violation of Southern hospitality, right? So you stop at 
um, Speedway <laughs> and you buy a $7 bottle of wine because that's all there is at Speedway <laughs> and you take it because it would be criminal not to show up with something, right? Maybe some of you can relate to this. But you see, to receive the hospitality of God means you have nothing to give. Nothing. You bring nothing to the party. You cannot pay. Some final thoughts for us this morning about this passage. To those joining, especially the compromands, Jesus is saying his hospitality is an invitation to come home. Now, I'm 52 years old, and when I drive up the driveway of my parents' house, something happens to me emotionally. I, I, I relax. I'm home, even though it's not my ultimate home. And I pay a mortgage payment every month at 594 Tilly Scott Court in Greensboro. But there's something about going home that matters. We're all looking for home. Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in the hearts of people. He's set this desire, this longing in us to come home. And the great invitation of God is to come home, to be in his family, bring nothing to the party, but feast richly. Secondly, only the poor and the poor in spirit get it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And to be poor in spirit can be physically poor in this world. It can also be poor in spirit when you realize I'm broke. Have you ever run out of gas in your car? Have you ever been to the end of your rope? There's actually a lot more people who are poor in spirit. And maybe even in this room today, you come poor in spirit. Jesus means anyone poor in spirit is welcome. And the only thing that can rescue you to God is your own personal spiritual bankruptcy. The last thing I want to say this morning is great theologian, American theologian, Jonathan Edwards, who thought deeply about God and is an amazing philosopher. Um, Edwards asked this question, what was the Trinity, what was God doing before anything else we see has been created? So I want you to just think deeply with me for a minute. Breathe. Think deeply. Before anything was... What was God doing? Edwards says that God had to be. He couldn't say what he was doing because he wasn't there. But he said God had to be ultimately and, and deeply satisfied within himself. That he could exist for eternity past without anything else. I want you to think about for the, that for just a moment. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit perfectly satisfied with themselves for eternity past. 
And maybe as you contemplate that this morning, I then want you to see that satisfaction, that love, that security, that beauty, that home is exactly what the gospel message has invited you into, even today, to come home. Each week we celebrate communion here, and you want to know what the piece of bread that the celebrant holds up is called? It's called the host, as a reminder that this meal is just a foretaste or a picture of a heavenly banquet, an eternal feast that you, by the gospel, have been invited into. And the truth is so powerful. If you have been invited to this gospel and you have come to Jesus, then be one who practices hospitality. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.